Good morning, Seacoast. So good to see you. Is anybody happy to be in church this weekend? I'm just excited to be in church. I love gathering with all of you. My name's Josh Surratt. If I haven't met you yet, serve as a lead pastor here at Seacoast. And we just wanna welcome you. It's gonna be a good day today. I wanna welcome all of our campuses that are with us as well. We've got uh, people joining us from 13 locations uh, all across South Carolina and North Carolina online. And we're glad every one of you are here. And we're just really looking forward to what God is gonna do among us. I was finishing up the message for this weekend on Thursday, uh, getting ready to kind of turn it in and do our, our routine that we do. And I got a text from my friend Nick Kane, and we knew that uh, Nick and Christine were in town this weekend. They were at a Joyce Meyer conference uh, up at the Coliseum. Were any of the women a part of that conference? Okay, I hear good things, hear good things. And so we were hoping we'd get to see them and maybe grab a meal or something. And he said, hey, our plans for the weekend opened up. So I know it's a long shot, but if you would like Chris to preach, um, she's available. And I had a really good message. I'm telling you, it was a really good message. But I thought to myself, we love women preachers, and so we're gonna, we're gonna do that. Um, it, it obviously didn't even think twice about it. So honored to have uh, Christine Kane with us, and it's almost like she doesn't need an introduction. They've been part of our Seacoast extended family for about a, a decade now, and you, if you've been at Seacoast very long, you probably heard her preach. If you haven't, I'm, I'm so excited for you because she just has such an incredible word from God for our church family this morning. Uh, if you don't know Christine, she and Nick started about, I think 11 years ago or so, they started the A21 campaign, uh, which helps rescue women and men from human trafficking and turn them from victims to victors. And they've rescued over 1,500 uh, victims who have become victors in this past decade, which is just incredible what God has done through them, they uh, started their ministry back at Hillsong Church, still part of that church family today, and God has just done incredible things through their life and through their story, and it's great to hear from somebody who's a great preacher, but uh, they're also just great people and great friends, and they love you, they love this church, and, and they, they're just uh, honored to be here, and so we're super excited. Would you show Christine some Southern hospitality? Get up to your feet and welcome her as she Thank you, Pastor Josh, you're awesome, love you. Hey, church! doing? I am so fired up to be here. I couldn't wait to be here with you all. And um, they tell me that the 11 o'clock is the most holy service at all of the Seacoast services, because you know, with God, it goes from faith to faith, from glory to glory. So the 5.30 last night is good, and the nine o'clock was gooder, but the goodest is the 11 a.m. Are you the most holy congregation in all of Seacoast? <laughs> you all are not, you're the most backslidden. You just woke up half an hour ago. That's what the issue is. Some of you still haven't gone out from last night, but we're so glad you're here. It is our joy. I'm so grateful that it worked out that we could be here this weekend. I feel like I'm just with family. And um, in case you, you're sort of not aware, you all have a cray-cray Australian aunt, and that would be me. And um, you know how at Christmas, you always have those crazy relatives that come in once a year? I'm that person, okay? So if you don't like me, it's okay. Come back next week. The real pastor will be here, and you will be fine. Uh, life will be as normal. But um, God's been doing some amazing stuff. I, I am still wide-eyed. I just said, um, you know, to Pastor Lisa, I looked around and I went, are you still like in awe of what God has done? Because, you know, when I first, when I was here last year, I think it was last year, this was still kind of being constructed. 
And um, then we come back and I look at your new house and I'm like, y'all have been renovating and you have done a kick devil butt job. This is unbelievable. And so I am just so grateful. I love growth and I love expansion and I love a house that is full of vision and that is prepared to make room for what God wants to do. You ought to thank God that you are under such great leadership in such a great house that has so much vision. And so I love that. And I'm hoping all of you in the back, um, you know, that's the very holy section. If the rapture happens when I'm preaching, you're going first. Right there. It's fantastic. So I hope you all are, are going well. I am here with the single most ravishing piece of masculine. Fr- Pastor Greg's looking at me thinking I'm talking about him, but I'm actually talking um, about my husband, the single most ravishing piece of masculine flesh on planet Earth. I've been sleeping with him for 23 years. And... Um, <laughs> Since the day we were married, not before, in case you're wondering. But anyway, so uh, you want to stand up, honey? This is my husband, Nick, everyone. And so he is awesome. They told me I'm allowed to be a little bit naughty with the 11 o'clock because the holy people were all in the 9 o'clock, so that's okay. And then we have two daughters, and I think we've got a picture of my Catherine Bobby and my Sophia Joyce, and um, they are the love of my life. Now, because my husband is number 14 of 15 children. Yeah, all the women just cross their legs and the men are like, <laughs> there's like no, no, no television in that part of Australia, in case you're wondering, we're still in the dark ages. But my mother-in-law fully did not think you were a chick until you popped out like number 10. And so I would take Catherine and Sophia and I would go, this is Catherine Bobby, my alpha, and this is Sophia Joyce, my Omega, and they are the beginning and the end of my childbearing years, and that's kind of where it all goes. I mean, I didn't pop out my first till 35 and my second till 40, so honey, you need a purple heart when you pop out a kid at 40, so it is all done, but they are the joy of my life, and I've told every service, I've got to tell you all, my eldest one just recently got um, a boyfriend, which, you know, was always going to be an interesting thing to navigate um, any parent of daughters, I love all of you that have got sons, but I'm just going to tell you what we do with your sons. So my my daughters, um, when the boy wanted to date my daughter, my husband made him make an appointment with our secretary so that he would come to our office, remembering that we put human traffickers in jail. And um, so he was putting (laughs) in that um, office and Um, then he made him wait for 30 minutes and then brings him into his office. And again, I'm saying this in every service because it makes me feel so joyful that I can actually say it because I'm in the South because I was raised in Australia and I live in Southern California, so I can't even say what I'm about to say out loud. So it's beautiful to be able to say it out loud here. So my husband made sure that he strategically placed him under all of the animal heads that are in his office. (laughs) And um, it was so, so awesome. And then he had printed out some paperwork that said that only 1.2% of all high school romances end up in marriage. So my husband's like opening dialogue with this poor boy was um, Jackson, looking at the data objectively, there is a 98.8% probability that you will not be marrying my daughter. Therefore, the purpose of this meeting is because I wanna hear from you what your plans are about dating somebody else's wife. (laughs) How many think my husband's a good father right here? 
So the poor dude, the fact that he didn't have to change his underwear after that is a big thing. And um, he made it through that meeting. So uh, they've been, he's still alive and it's wonderful. So um, it's, it, it is a new season for us. I love it. I love parenting. And um, I love parenting world-changing chicks, and so they're, they're great. But anyway, we're going to dive into the Word today. I mean, this is the last service for the day. You've got nothing going at lunch now, and the football finished yesterday, so we finished worshipping one idol. We're going to do another one today. So some, oh, she just said that in the South. Um, who do you all go for in football? You know what? We're going to go to the Bible right now, because I was... Um, I thought there'd be more unity in the room. I did not realize there was not that unity. And I know nothing about American football, so I don't know. I'm just gonna stick to the Word of God and we're gonna all be Christians right now. So I have no idea. <laughs> you know, we just had our Walk for Freedom for A21, which was just phenomenal. The Lord has blessed us uh, in the last decade. And I'm telling you this because you don't realize how much your church has been instrumental in the work of A21, particularly here in America. Um, you started our East Coast, I'm just saying you because Lisa, but through uh, the support of this house, um, started our East Coast office, which, you know, now we have an office in um, Charlotte and D.C., and it is amazing what God has done and um, the amount of people that we've been able to uh, help. And now, you know, A21 is in 15 countries around the world and we just had our Global Walk for Freedom last weekend with um, 500 cities of the world hosted walks in 50 countries for 24 hours every three seconds. Our walk started somewhere in the world and tens of thousands of people walked for freedom with a firm commitment that we are gonna abolish slavery everywhere forever in our lifetime, and we are going to do it, and it's gonna happen. So I'm telling you that because I'm giving you a year's notice because the Charleston Walk's gonna be the biggest walk next year, and so Lisa is organizing that. So in Hebrews chapter two, the Bible says, therefore, you go, therefore, whenever there's a therefore, you ask what's it there for, and so therefore comes out of Hebrews chapter one, because I won't have time to read it all, we understand that Hebrews chapter one, just let me bring you up to speed, is a chapter, it's beautiful, actually ties in wonderful with the series that we're currently in as a church out of the book of Colossians. And it talks about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And you know what? We can never hear this enough as followers of Jesus that actually our whole sufficiency is in Him, that He is supreme. He is the name that is above every other name. He's defeated hell, He's defeated death, He's the name above every angel. He's the name that is above every sickness, every disease, every infirmity. There is a name that is above every other name, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. We've gathered here today, not because we're a bunch of socially dysfunctional morons that had nothing else to do on a Sunday, and we just sort of gathered together, and we're just hanging on to the rapture. No, we are here to lift up the name of our mighty King, Jesus Christ, who is seated on the throne. He still reigns supreme over the universe, and Hebrews chapter one, the writer to the Hebrews, he's writing to a bunch of Jewish Christians who are being so persecuted for their faith. And it's great, I've been in the book of Hebrews all year because it reminds me very much, it could have been written right now in 2019 for the world in which you and I live in. It was a time when these Hebrew Christians were, were being persecuted, they were being marginalized, they were being ostracized, they had lost their property, they had lost their rights. Many of them had been uh, 
ostracized from their families. And in fact, there was the big fire of Rome and Nero was blaming the Christians that were running and hiding in the catacombs because it was dangerous to be a Christian. It was likely to cost you your life. It certainly cost you everything else. And the days in which we are living in, you know what, it's not that cool to be a Christian. You and I live in a very secular, a very humanistic, in oftentimes atheistic, uh, pluralistic culture. You know, they say that we are postmodern, we are post-Christian, we are post, we're so posted, we've been posted into orbit. You know, we are post everything, but we're living in a time where it's not cool to be Christian. It's cool to be, it can be anything else you wanna be. You can go to Nirvana in a Tirana, eating a piranha, hugging a whale, kissing a rock, holding a tree, umming your way to nothing. It's wonderful as long as you do not follow a Judeo-Christian ethic. How could you be so kind of, you know, um, Christine, you know, how could you follow that kind of God? And how can you be so exclusive? And how can it be just, you know, so bigoted? And how can you be, and it's almost like there's a, a real pushback uh, in culture against being a Christian. You can be anything else, but just being a Christian seems to be just not as popular in 2019 as it used to be in 1980 or 1990 or even the year 2000. And a lot of us are feeling that. We don't quite know how to put language around it, but there's this kind of pressure where you're just thinking it, it, it's not like it was. And church, let me remind you, we're not going back to Kansas. It's not going to be like that. If we read scripture, time is moving forward and we know that things are just just gonna heat up even more. In the midst of that, you and I are called to bear witness to the truth. In the midst of that, you and I are called to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit, to be full of love, to be full of joy, to be full of peace, to be full of kindness, to be full of gentleness, to be full of long-suffering, to be full of goodness, to be full of self-control. Somehow, you and I are supposed to live in victory in the midst of a dark, chaotic, extremely divided culture and time in history. And you go, how do I do that? Well, the writer to the Hebrews is helping these Hebrew Christians understand that. He says, let's just remind ourselves of the supremacy of Christ. Let's just remind ourselves of the sufficiency of Christ. You were never meant to be cool enough. It doesn't matter how skinny your jeans are and how many tats you've got. You are not going to be cool enough to be able to cope with what's coming. But in Christ, you will be able to cope. In Christ, you will have victory. In Christ, you will have joy. In Christ, you will have peace. In Christ, you'll be able to do it. So the writer to the Hebrews is starting off going, let's just establish this. Our strength is in Christ. Our sufficiency is in Christ. The supremacy is in Christ. He says, therefore, therefore. I just got to the first word of my whole sermon. Therefore, <laughs> we must pay much closer. Everyone say much closer. You'll sound so American. <laughs> much closer. Much closer. <laughs> Everyone say, much closer. Now you'll sound like an Australian. Much closer. Okay, so this is how the Queen speaks English. We say, awesome. Everyone say, awesome. You sound very dignified for Charles. Everyone say, awesome. Okay, now say it like an American. Sailor. <laughs> much closer. That word much closer in the Greek is perisoteros prosochin. The reason I can say that is I'm Greek. And so 
always laugh. I go, I know a little Greek because I'm little and I'm Greek. And so my mother would always say to me, if everything, if I was going to cross a street or I was going to do something that she perceived to be dangerous, she'd say, Christina, you've got to have much closer attention, pay attention, not just pay attention, but there's such an urgency. If you could hear this in the Greek, I can hear it in the text. You've got to pay much closer attention. And church, we are in a season where we've got to pay much closer attention to the things that we have heard, our historical Orthodox Christian faith, lest we drift. That's what the scripture says. That there are times when you don't just kind of zone out, but you pay a lot of attention. What is it that I've heard in terms of the Christian faith because I wanna make sure that I am rooted and grounded firmly in Christ, lest I drift. And the implication here is that drifting is the default setting for all of us. It really is. You, the only thing you have to do to drift in life, in any area of life, is simply just nothing. That's all you have to do, just nothing. In my marriage, I don't need to go and have an affair for our marriage to break up. We can drift from each other if I just simply do nothing and pay no attention to my marriage. My health and fitness can actually just basically be obliterated, not because I'm necessarily going to eat a whole bunch of Krispy Kreme donuts, but just I simply do nothing to look after my body or my health or my fitness in every area of life. I, I always say, you know, Greek men, Greek men grow beards so that they won't look like their mothers, or so they will look like their mothers, actually. So that's the whole point. And, and the reason I say that is the only thing I have to do to really look hairy in my face is like nothing. I'm sorry, men, that this is too much information at 11 a.m. But if I don't go and regularly wax, I know that's too much information for some of you, but if I don't, poor Nick, if he wakes up in the morning to this face, but all you have to do is for your whatever, in terms of your personal grooming to just go out of control is just nothing, nothing. See, sometimes we think, even as Christians, if we've been walking with the Lord for a while, we just think, well, you know, I'm not going back and doing anything really bad. I'm not sort of like going back to excessive drinking or, you know, going nightclubbing or committing immorality or whatever. And, and yet we can wake up at the end of the year and think, where have I landed with the Lord? And it's not that I did anything bad, I just didn't do anything. And before I know it, I've drifted. When we were growing up, you know, we'd go to the beach and this particular beach we would go to had a really bad undertow. And so my dad would always put a, a really bright beach umbrella and really bright towels at different points on the beach. And he'd say to us, kids, before you go out, I want you to check regularly, check your markers. Because if you don't check your markers without realizing it, you're just gonna be having a whole bunch of fun. And then you're gonna look up and realize that you are nowhere near where you're supposed to be. And you drifted. And this is a time in the church where we need to be checking our markers. We need to be looking up and going, you know what? How am I doing? How am I doing with the Lord? Am I firmly anchored? And I know what it's like. My husband loves boating and I love sunbaking. So we get it, you know, we get a good thing happening. And so often we'll go out boating and Nick will go, Chris, drop the anchor, which to me means like throw it over and lie down and sunbake again. 
And you know, I've realized now it's a little bit more than that because once we like literally were in the anchorage and I thought I, you know, threw the anchor overboard, but I didn't check that it actually anchored. And so, you know, a little while later, suddenly we hit this other boat. My husband was not pleased. <laughs> Said a lot of things to me that are not in the Bible. But anyway, so I just, um, it, it, but the point is, is like, Chris, you gotta check that the anchor actually takes, actually makes contact. And, and some of us, we just said, well, I go to church. I read the Bible occasionally. I, I, I do this, I do that, and yet, then a storm comes, then a trial comes, then the winds change, the currents change, and we're in the midst of that culturally right now. And before we know it, without anything, no, we have not made any conscious decision, we've ended up drifting. And so this would be a time, church, where it's really important to check our anchor. Are we truly anchored in Christ? Are we anchored in the goodness of God, in the love of God, in the grace of God, in the mercy of God? Are we anchored in becoming Christ-like? Are we anchored? Because if we are not anchored and we can look at the writer to the Hebrews and look at the issues he was addressing and they are very pertinent to us in 2019 and the importance is that we have to check our markers. And I believe the Lord's brought me to church this morning to remind us all to check our markers. Look up and go, somewhere have we just been caught up in the undertow of the current of this culture? Or are we still rooted and anchored in Christ? Because if we're not, we're not gonna make it. If we're not, we will drift. And so what are signs of drifting? What are some signs that you and I may not be firmly Anchored, And this morning I'm believing that the Holy Spirit's gonna do a bit of a divine adjustment and a divine realignment. And that anchor is gonna drop again and we're gonna go, whoa, okay, I'm tethered back to Christ. And in some areas where I didn't think it was a big deal, I, I've realized that I've drifted and I wanna be tethered strongly in Christ. And one of the first things I think that is a sign that we have drifted is when you and I, when we stop resting and we start striving, we stop resting and we start striving. I love Hebrews chapter four, verse 11 says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. I, th there is only one sort of striving we should do as Christians. And that striving, and the NIV says, we labor to enter into that place of rest. We strive to enter into that place of rest. The real labor that should be being done as Christians is the labor to enter into the rest of God. Now the rest of God is not that we fall asleep and do nothing. The rest of God is that place that we enter where we trust the goodness of God. We trust the faithfulness of God, no matter what is going on. Now you and I are living in a society with unprecedented anxiety, unprecedented stress, unprecedented depression, unbelievable cases of, of suicide and pain and heartache, and it is serious and it is tragic. But as Christians, unless we find that place of rest in Christ, we will be no different to the world. A lot of that stress and anxiety about the future comes out of the fact that many of us have forgotten what we do know about God and we're freaking out about what we don't know about the future. Now the world has shifted. Looking at the world with any kind of 
just common sense, you're like, whoa, I don't know where this world is going. There have been so many shifts morally, economically, politically, socially, raising children in today's culture. We were all doing this together, church. None of us are exempt from it. It would be easy to be overwhelmed by the darkness and the chaos in the world today. Nick and I helped to rescue the victims of human trafficking. I could never even post the kind of stories that I hear every day about the kind of depravity and evil on the planet, what people do to children, what happens around the world. I, as a mother, would be entirely overwhelmed by the enormity of the evil and the depravity on the planet if I did not find my rest in Christ. I don't have the capacity to cope with that. I don't have the capacity to understand that. But I do have the capacity to trust God. And if I trust that my God is good, that my God does good, that my God will even work all of the bad things together for my good and for His glory, then I can trust what I do know about God above what I do not know about the future. So when you are spending, if three of you want to clap, the rest of you can as well. You're like trying to work all this out. But here is the deal. If you and I are trying to work out, and the Hebrew Christians, they were freaking out. They were being killed and thrown to the lions and martyred for the cause of Christ. If they were trying to work out the next day, that they just would not be able to. You'd be so overwhelmed. So it's like, you know what? I'm gonna trust what I know about God. And church, I'm asking us in the world in which we live to say, you know what? There is so much I do not understand, but I trust God. And I'm gonna put my trust in God. Faith is predicated on trust, not understanding. And the fact of the matter is in this whole passage of scripture in Hebrews chapter four, it talks about the children of Israel who essentially died because of unbelief in the wilderness. Let's not be a people of God that our unbelief causes us to prematurely forfeit fulfilling the purpose of God on the earth. Our world actually needs us to have courage in this day. Our world needs us to have strength in this day. Our world needs us to have hope in this day. And here's the good news. Because we're in Christ, we don't find that in ourselves. We find it in Him. God has created us to live in this time. You and I are not a product of time. We're a product of eternity. God has plucked us out of eternity. He has positioned us in time. And He's given us gifts and talents for the purpose of serving our generation. Believe it or not, we were plan A for God for this time in history. I mean, when you look at it and go, God, can I actually do it? He's like, yes, I plucked you out of eternity. I put you right here in Charleston, South Carolina, or whichever one of our campuses you're watching this from today. I put you in that city, in that town, and for a time such as this, I've given you gifts and talents for the purpose of serving your generation. In me, you can handle it. In me, you were created for these days. In him, you were created for this hour. You don't need to freak out about what's gonna happen in the future. You just need to dig deeper into Christ, stay anchored in Christ, and He will give you the strength and the grace to be able to move forward into what is going on in the future. So you know you've drifted when, man, you start striving and trying to make it happen and controlling rather than trusting and going, I'm gonna rest in you, God. I'm gonna rest in the finished work of Jesus. You, you can't finish a finished work. <laughs> you can't complete a completed work. He's done it all. Trust Him. Trust Him. That's what sets us apart as Christians in this hour. 
The other thing that you can know that you suddenly have started drifting is when you start watching and you stopped, and you, when you start watching and you stop participating. When you start spectating at a Christian event and you're no longer participating in the Christian journey. When you just basically sit in the grandstands of life and you vicariously live your Christian life through everyone else's Instagram feed. It is amazing how social media has turned us into voyeurs of Christianity. We look in at someone else's Christian life and we think if we like their life, we're living our own. But we're not. We need to stop scrolling through everyone else's life and start living our own. We need to get out of the Christian grandstands and get on the playing field and we need to run our race and finish our course. I wonder today whether you are on your playing field, whether you are in your lane, whether you are running your race, whether you're finishing your course or if you just become comfortable spectating at a Christian event. You can walk with Jesus and you can have started off with great passion and then end up in the bleachers with your popcorn watching a Christian game, listening to Christian music, downloading a Christian podcast, going to a Christian church, but never actually getting on the field and running your race and finishing your course. And Paul says that we are to run our race and finish our course. I need to tell you, there is no grandstand this side of eternity. Hebrews 12 says, therefore then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, there is only a grandstand in heaven. The great heroes of the faith are leaning, leaning over the grandstand this morning and then looking down at us right here and they're saying, oh, to have been a Christian in 20, 19, to have had your resources, to have had the Holy Ghost, to have had what you have got. And they're cheering us on this morning and they're going, come on church. But the only grandstand is on he in heaven. There is no grandstand on earth. Here on earth, where is a lane and it's got your name on it. And you've got the baton of faith right now for your generation. And God's saying, tag, you are it. Get in your lane, run your race and finish your course. Don't watch, but run. Don't watch, but run. And so you know that you've drifted when you're no longer engaged and you're just watching. You know that you've drifted when you're no longer pressing on to lay a hold of all of that for which Christ Jesus has laid a hold of you, but you're coasting. You're riding on the momentum of what you learned at VBS 20 years ago. You still know your little felt board and you know what, you're just coasting. You've stopped pressing. Been a long time since you pressed through in your giving, pressed through in your serving, pressed through in even your spiritual disciplines, pressed through in desiring holiness and sanctification and becoming more like Christ. It's just like, you know what, I've just kind of gone with the Christian culture. When was the last time, not out of striving, but out of pressing, there's a difference. That word pressing in the Greek, in the book of Philippians, is to exert a steady force against. When was the last time you exerted a steady force against just going with the flow? Just giving what you always give. Serving as you always serve. Saying what you always say. But saying, you know what, I'm gonna dig deeper. I, I wanna become more like Jesus. Certainly no legalism, but I'm gonna go through a season of maybe fasting and praying like I haven't for a long time. I, I'm gonna dig deeper into the word like I haven't for a long time because I wanna go deeper with Jesus. I, I wanna become more like him. I wanna press on. But we live in a culture that has 
a retirement mentality, which is like, whew, you just deserve to coast now till you die. And we brought that into our Christian faith. Oh, well, I've reached a certain age now, so I can just coast. But Caleb at 85 said, excuse me, Joshua, I'm not cashing in my 401k. Moses promised me Hebron. I'm as strong now as I was then. Now give me this mountain that's my inheritance. I'm not slowing down. I kept my faith in the wilderness with all those whinging, whining, complaining people that were with me in the church. I just, they all dropped dead, thank God. Then we came into the <laughs> promised land and I started, I helped everyone take their promised land. It's awesome. I helped everyone. I built everything. But you know what? I'm not gonna golf my way into heaven, Joshua. No, 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 no. There is a Hebron. And Moses said Hebron. And while there's still breath in my lungs, while my heart is still beating, while blood is still pumping through my arteries and veins, God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. God's not done with me yet. If you woke up this morning and there was not a white chalk mark around your body, honey, it means that you're alive. It means heaven is not ready for you yet. God's still got a plan. God's still got a purpose. God's still got a destiny. And so we press on. We press on. I'm 53. I want to be super granny for Jesus. I am more fruitful in my 50s than I ever was in my 20s. I'm more fruitful in my 50s than I ever was in my 30s. And I love young people. I am so committed to the next generation, but I'm also committed to not dying before I'm dead. Seriously. Most of us are dead before we die and the thing that kills us is all of this unused life and unused purpose and unused destiny that we're carrying around. And it's time for some of us that have been walking with the Lord for a whole lot, a long time to just stop coasting and start pressing. It's a lot of good oil that come out of pressing. A lot of good oil. You know that you basically have drifted when you stop gathering and you start isolating. Oh, I don't want to go to church this week. We still live in a nation where you've got an option. Go and ask our Syrian brothers and sisters whether they have the option this week of going to church. Or our Chinese brothers and sisters who had three weeks ago 20,000 house churches shut down. Go and ask them if they even get the option. Well, will I go or won't I? Weather's nice, might go out in the boat this week. It's amazing to me that the writer to the Hebrews, one of the main things he said in Hebrews chapter 10 let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Oh, we're living in a time in the church where it just seems cool not to go to church anymore. It's just me and Jesus. It's just sweet. It's just me and Jesus. And Jesus, the Jesus that I've formed in my own image just lets me do whatever I wanna do and think whatever I wanna think and just be me. The, you know the weirdest saying in 2019? They're gonna have a time capsule in about 100 years. They're gonna dig it up and say, weird sayings in 2019. The weirdest one is gonna be, you do you, boo. <laughs> like, what on earth is that? The whole point of my Christian life is that I won't do me, boo. That I'm gonna do a bit more Jesus, boo. That I'm gonna become a little bit more like Jesus and do what He wants me to do. <laughs> Let me go on. 
This is not a time. The enemy, if he can scatter the sheep and keep you isolated and keep you disconnected from church, he wants to take you out because he hates your guts. Do you want a scripture for that? John 10.10 says the enemy's only got one goal, to steal, kill, and destroy. And we're living in a bit of a world that goes, oh, there is no devil. Oh, there is no hell. Honey, they are not involved in fighting human trafficking. Let me tell you, there is a devil. He is after your soul. He hates your guts. But there is one greater than the devil. His name is Jesus. He has defeated the devil. He has defeated hell. He has defeated death. The enemy is after your purpose and your destiny. He's after your purpose and your destiny. So don't stop gathering. Let me just end with one that is very big in our day right now. It's when you know you've drifted, when you stop enduring and you just start yielding. There's a little bit of flow in the Christian church right now. Just do what you wanna do. Jesus loves you, it's all under the blood. If we conveniently take out hell and the devil, <laughs> no consequences for anything, honey, just do you. So we no longer endure. We no longer endure. The minute something gets tough, we're out of there. Minute I don't like my marriage, we're just not compatible. Who's compatible? I don't know, I don't know who is compatible. The minute I don't like my church, I'm out of here. The minute I don't like my boss, I'm out of here. The minute I don't like my friends, I'm just no commitment, just phew, no injury. You offended me, you hurt me. I'm gonna write a blog about you and put it on Twitter. It's amazing, no endurance. The minute the temptation feels, oh, well, I've been single and celibate for one week. It's so hard. I went to the singles group for two weeks in a row and I said to God, if you don't bring me a spouse, I'm gonna go to the nightclub and find my own. And God's like, I'm so nervous. Just can't endure the temptation. The minute it gets a bit much, we're just like, it's just too hard. The minute someone offends us, I'm out of here. The minute someone betrays us, we blame the whole church. The minute someone does so, we just, I'm out of here. We just leave, we just walk out, we just go. And that word endurance is the ability to bear up under pressure. And honey, we're not even in what's coming. And so if we cannot bear up now, I don't know what's gonna happen. We've gotta get stronger in our spirits and the way you get stronger in your spirit is by going deeper and being anchored more deeply in Christ. It's the only way because He's the only one that overcame every temptation, that overcame betrayal and hurt. There's nothing you and I have been through or are going to go through that Jesus Christ did not Himself go through. This is the point of the Gospel, church. God, fully God, became fully man and went through everything you and I would go through to Say, I'm with you, I get it, I get the hurt, I get the offence, I get the pain, I get the suffering, I get the betrayal, I get it because I bore it for you. If you're gonna try to cope with it yourself, you're not gonna make it, so anchor yourself in me. Jesus Christ is this anchor we have for our soul, both firm and secure. Unless we're anchored in Christ in this day, we will drift into offence, we will drift into victimhood, we will drift into just 
deconstruction, we will drift away from the things of God unless we get re-anchored in the only one that can keep us anchored. People will hurt you. People will betray you. Life hurts. There is death and there is suffering and there is loss and there is pain and there is heartache. We live in a fallen world. The hope of the Gospel is that our anchor is in Christ who has overcome the world. Not us, Him. And we unite together and we're planted in church and we gather together because that gives us the strength and the confidence and the fortitude to move forward, to remember Christ. And this morning, we're remembering that He endured. There is nothing that you or I are currently or in the past or in the future going to go through that He has not endured. And because He's endured it, He's given us the strength and the power through His Holy Spirit to be able to endure whatever is going on. It doesn't end here. There's an eternal future for each of us. Therefore, we can endure temporal discomfort because of eternity. You know, when Jesus began His ministry, He was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Do you remember that? Some of us were tempted. We can't withstand temptation for 40 seconds. There's nothing that Jesus didn't go through. He endured that. Why? Because He saw you and He saw me. The Bible says, for the joy set before Him. He endured all of this. He was God. When His own family didn't understand, and so many of us have got families that think we're cray-cray. And the minute our family shows some resistance to our Christian faith, bang, we just walk away. But Jesus endured no matter what they thought of Him. When His followers began to fall away one by one, and they did, He didn't dilute His doctrine. He didn't change. In fact, in John 6, 66, the Bible says that His disciples thought that His teachings were hard and many that day turned away. Jesus had no problem with being unfollowed. We have such a problem with being unfollowed that we will change our theology and dilute our doctrine and re-change the Word of God so that people still like us. I'm trying. When the Pharisees lied about Him, you ever been lied about? You wanna defend yourself, mate? You wanna go on Twitter and defend yourself? Jesus endured. When the Sadducees tried to trap Him, He endured. When Judas betrayed Him, you ever been betrayed? 2017, I went through one of the biggest betrayals of my life. I thought it was gonna kill me. And I had to lean so heavily on the fact that for 30 lousy pieces of silver, one of Jesus' closest confidants betrayed Him. And Jesus still endured. Christine, you can endure. Christine, this is not a reason to throw in the towel. Jesus knows what you're going through. When He pled with His Father in Gethsemane, you ever never wanted to do something that God's asked you to do? So many people walk away because I didn't want to do it. Jesus was in Gethsemane, dripping, sweat of blood, going, I don't want to do this. Who would want to go to the cross? Who would want to be separated from your father? I don't want to do this. 
If there's any other way, God, is there a plan B? Is there a plan C? Is there any other way? Could you take this cup from me? How many of us have ever done that? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. The most missing words in the 21st century Christian church. Nevertheless, not my will. Chris, I really wanted to do it. Chris, it was just so, Chris, I really, I know you wanted to. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. He still endured, knowing what was gonna come the next day. Can you understand as we go through when the temple guard arrested him in the garden, he endured? Man, when his 11 disciples scattered and left him, he still endured. He went through six illegal trials and he still endured. Pilate handed him over to the crowd and he still endured. Peter denied him and he still endured. We've walked away for a lot less than this, church. When the crowds cried, crucify him, he still endured. The soldiers mocked and ridiculed him, he still endured. When they whipped him beyond recognition, he still endured. When they thrust a crown of thorns on his head, he still endured. As they hammered him to that cross, he still endured. And as all the forces of hell came against him on that cross, he still endured. And when he absorbed the sin of all of humanity, he still endured. And as he cried out, it is finished, he still endured. And because he continued to endure, when he was buried for three days, he then rose again and church, here is the point of all of that endurance. He rose again from the dead. He defeated hell, he defeated death. He holds the keys to hell and death. And church, this is the point. My Bible says the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you and lives on the inside of me. So guess what church, we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. We can endure, we can endure, we can endure. Therefore, with endurance, let us run the race that God has set before us. Because He endured. The point of it all, church, therefore, in 2019, as we go into 2020, brand new decade, in a very different America, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift from so great a salvation. I pray this morning, you remember what a great salvation this is. He is worthy of our fidelity. He is worthy of our faithfulness. He is worthy. 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 Our God is worthy in Jesus' name.
He is our anchor. He is our living hope. And we're gonna move into response time here in just a moment. We're gonna transition it back to the campuses. But I wanna, I wanna hang right here for a moment because there are some of us that are here today and we are drifting. We've been drifting in some area of our life. And, and the problem is not that we're not trying hard enough or that we don't have enough willpower or what somebody else did to us. The problem is that we are not anchored in Jesus. And I don't wanna pass up this moment without giving us all an opportunity to say today, I wanna anchor myself in Jesus. You may be here for the very first time wondering why somebody invited you to church this weekend. And I'm telling you, it's for this moment. It's because we need to be anchored in Him. And so whether you've never anchored yourself in Christ before, maybe you've, you've done that, but you feel like you've just been drifting, 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 I wanna give us an opportunity here and at the campuses to say, I want to anchor myself. What does that mean? Honestly, what it means is we surrender. We stop trying to figure it out on our own. We stop trying to get it right on our own. And we go, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna surrender my life. I'm willing to give up my life and, and attach myself to yours, to your plans and to your purposes for me. And so if you're here today or at a campus and you say, that, that's what I, that's, I want you to pray that for me right now. Would you just raise your hand? I wanna pray for anybody who'd say, I wanna anchor myself in Jesus. Just raise your hand. Awesome, here and at the campuses. Fantastic, fantastic. Jesus, today, we give you our lives. We give you our lives. Anchor us in you. We believe that you are the Messiah. We believe that you are the fulfillment of every promise. Even the stuff we haven't figured out yet, we trust you and we wanna surrender our lives to you today. Would you anchor us so that no matter which direction the wind blows in the future, or what the future holds. We can smile and we can be grateful for the future because we know who holds it. So we love you, Jesus. We thank you for your death and resurrection. We thank you that you've paid for every sin that we've ever done or will do, that there's no more guilt, there's no more shame, there's no more condemnation, that we are anchored in you, in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen.